Good morning, Chair City Church. I am so glad to see all of you, man, really. Oh, man, I missed you so much. I missed you so much. I did, I did, I did, I did. So for our guests, I'm Dave, the pastor here at Chair City Church, and we have guests every week. We had guests each week that I wasn't here, and I was down south. We are in uh, the last week, our fourth week of a sermon series that we're calling Weird Stuff in the Bible. And, and we're doing this series because there are just stories, events, happenings in, in the scripture that when you're going through, you stop and you pause. And if you're like me, you say, that's weird. And uh, that's a bit strange. But what we're doing is we're going into these truths in scripture that are applicable to all humankind for all the ages and we're finding wisdom in the weird that we can apply to our life it's been a it's been a great series it really has week one I came here live like I am today and and I shared that message week two and three we did something we've never done here at Chair City Church and that was you saw me live up on the screen while I was with my dear family down in the Outer Banks and then the Crystal Coast of the Carolinas uh, you know taking it in can my wife be any darker man I mean come on this woman just like I mean she's like a sun goddess right I mean she just I mean I mean if there's if there's anything you know where you can get as close to heaven as possible on earth this woman was in heaven she just loves the beach and I being that I really don't like the beach is the closest you can be to being a saint is our husband in this world okay I lived under that umbrella. I knew every stripe looking up at that umbrella from the bottom side. So now that was week two and three. Now, if you remember in week one, I, uh, it actually in week two, so the first week of the two videos, week two, I told you that the last week of the series, we would do something special. Well, here we are today. And what we're going to do today, another first time ever in Chair City Church, is we're going to have four different communicators bring out one sermon to you. So it's not going to be 160 minutes long. That's the good news. It's going to be about the same length, 40, 45 minutes long. Four people are going to come out to you, but a lot of times they're going to share this message. I'm really crazy excited about it. As I told them, I'm, I'm, I thank God that as a pastor, I could turn, and what we did was I looked at our life groups, because our life groups are so precious to us, and I looked at people who had been communicating in our life groups, and who'd been living out their faith in, in various ways, and had been used to kind of communicating to people in different ways, and I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to pull out of that from that group of people, and, uh, and that's what we did, and they're here to share with you today. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'd like you to really remain engaged like you, you are an incredible audience to talk to week in week out you are so in, so in, you you're so connected when i'm speaking you're so engaged when i'm sharing with you uh and you do that with other speakers i want you to do that for them i want you to really uh, stay engaged with them if it calls to laugh laugh if they say something that's not funny just laugh okay but, but really, truly, I, I want them to feel, you know, you being here with them. Now, what's going to happen is this. At the, in there, you know I'm big on transitions. So as they, as one person is finishing up, another person's going to come out. That's what we're calling our transition. And what I want you to do is when you sense that happening and one person is leaving and another person is, is finishing, when one person is finished and they're stepping away, I want you to just really give a, just a rousing 
time of applause, right? I mean, I mean, you know, give it some breath, give it some width. Let them really sense, hey, I am grateful and thankful for what you brought to me. And man, at the same time, you're welcoming the person coming in. And I want you to clap till it's pretty much right. Yeah, okay. Hi, Joe City Church. I'm Matt. Um, it's an honor to be up here. Uh, quick thing, there's a few differences between Pastor Dave and I. Dave and I. Um, we're both from New York, but I like the Red Sox. Um, he doesn't like the beach and is at the beach a lot. I love the beach, and I'm rarely at the beach. So, And he talks about his wife and family a lot. I talk about my dog a lot. So, Those are the three main uh, differences. Besides him being a pastor and I'm not. All right, so let's get into this. So today we're going to speak about uh, Joshua. Joshua was an Israelite. And uh, he was involved with one of the biggest and weirdest miracles in the Bible. So Joshua being an Israelite had great faith in God. And he was blessed to grow up watching Moses lead the Israelites out of slavery and part the Red Sea. So after Moses passes away, they're not at the promised land yet. So God tells Joshua that he would like them, him to lead the Israelites to the promised land. And in that, through the process, there's one last barrier to get, well, two last barriers, I should say, to get to the promised land. The last physical barrier of the environment would be the Jordan River. Jordan River is about 10,000 feet wide, and at the lowest point, it is 50 feet deep. So you cannot walk through it. So God tells Joshua how to get through it, to bring the ark and the Israelites through the river. He stops the river from flowing, and as long as the ark is in there, the Israelites are okay. They pass through the river, and they get to the other side. However, like many lands... Israel, the promised land, is already inhabited by many nations, many armies. So in that instance, battles begin between cities and armies. And the Lord gives Joshua and the Israelites victory after victory. With that, a large city in Gibeon realizes what God is doing for Joshua and the Israelites. And in that moment... They come to Joshua and ask to be friends, to serve him, and for a treaty. They ask, please do not attack us, and they agree. They become allies. After hearing this, all the other kings become fearful. They become angry. They start seeing Joshua and the Israelites as a true threat, and so they decide to attack the city of Gibeon, their allies. At that moment, the Gibeon people come to Joshua and let them know what's going on. And let's pause for a moment and read Joshua 10, verses 7 to 9. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given victory over them. Not a single one of them will stand against you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. Now the battle begins there. And God aged Joshua and the Israelites into the victory over this epic army. But before that, 
In the midst of the battle, Joshua realizes the sun is setting. And with that, that means the dark is coming and the armies can disperse and go into their fortified territories. This would allow them to redo strategics and regrow and reassemble. This would mean that the battle would last for more days, more months, and maybe even years, which in total would mean more lives lost. Joshua knew that the time was now to defeat these armies and claim the promised land. The promise that was spoken to those in slavery in Egypt with the oppression. The promise that was spoken to throughout the walk in the wilderness. The time was now to take a hold of the promised land that God had promised. With that, Joshua decided to do something really weird and really bold. Let's read Joshua 10, verses 12 to 14. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord. In front of all the people of Israel, he said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Jalam. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky It did not set on as a normal day. This has never happened before in history, nor since. When the Lord answered such a prayer, surely the Lord was fighting for the Israelites. Now check this out. In that, it says, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. That is beyond amazing, and that is weird. Many would think, did this really happen? And I believe it did. Perhaps we as followers of Jesus should be asking ourselves one thing. What can we learn from this? Because there is so much we can learn. One great takeaway we can pray, uh, is we can pray boldly. And I say, throughout all the things that go on through our lives, with things that we cannot overcome and things that will overwhelm us, if we ask Joshua what to do, he would say, give it to God, pray bold and audacious prayers. Thank you. Morning. Morning. So the question for us this morning is how do we pray boldly like Joshua did? How do we pray those sun stand still prayers? I believe that if Joshua was here with us this morning, he would tell us three things. Number one, to pray like you know who you're praying to. In Exodus 33:11, there's an interesting verse. Okay, it was going to be up on the screen, but (laughs) that's okay. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, would not depart from the tent. 
I know this verse is about Moses, but I just want you to look at the very last part of that verse that says that Joshua would not return from, would not depart from the tent. Joshua lingered. I love that word. It's one of my favorite words. And, uh, and it means, in Webster's Dictionary, it means to stay in a place longer than necessary, unwilling to depart. This time of lingering in the presence of God that Joshua did, this time was setting Joshua up to be able to pray sun stand still prayers. Like Joshua, God is calling us to linger with him before the crisis hits, before the battle comes, to linger in his presence, to know him. When Joshua um, prayed his son stand still prayer, it was public. He prayed it before the Israelites, but Joshua knew who he was praying to. He knew he had an audience of one. Joshua knew that God, the creator, the one that put that sun up in the sky, the one that set the moon, was the one that he was praying to. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> praying with a God confidence comes out of a relationship with God and knowing your God. And knowing that God is good all the time. Psalm 46.11 says, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in time of trouble. So when the battle called in verse 7, we see that Joshua gathered his fighting men and they set out for Gilgad. They set out from Gilgad to Gibeon. Now Gilgad was a place of rest and quiet for Joshua and his men, but when the battle called, they gathered their armor and they began this journey of faith. They were already headed out. They were already on the road. When verse 8 we see that Lord says to Joshua, do not fear them. Do not fear this army of five against your one. Do not fear. I love that song. Craig was praying it, playing it for us on our way here. When I'm surrounded, I don't know if you know the words. There's only about five words in the whole song. But it, what do I do when I'm surrounded? Because I know that I'm surrounded by you. Joshua knew he was surrounded by God, that he could take his one-man arm, or not his one man, but his one army and come against five. Have you ever felt like that, that you have one army, you have one person, and you're coming up against a great battle that's much bigger than you are? Well, I'll tell you what, those are the times that you pray those sun stand still prayers. The Lord says to Joshua, do not fear them. Do not fear that army. He gives them a command. And then he gives them a promise. I have given them into your hands. None of them shall be left standing. And you know what? He's saying that very same thing to his children today, to us. Do not fear them. Move towards your struggle with a God confidence because your battle has already been won. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, amen. So Joshua came upon them. Uh, he came suddenly, it says, and he took them by surprise. Do you not love to take the enemy by surprise? And you know how you do that? You travel through the night. He left, he took that army. Now, I, it doesn't say this, but I did a little bit of research on my own. That road that went from Gilgad 
up to Gibeon was straight uphill. They were in full armor. It was the middle of the night, and they were headed out to this battle. Now, I have a young friend here this morning that knows exactly what I'm talking about. He just got home from boot camp, and he knows what that looks like to be in full armor and to be going uphill. But it was bold, and it was the army did not expect them to get to be there, and they suddenly came upon them. The enemy does not expect us to be bold. He doesn't expect us to meet our challenges head on. He doesn't expect us to put on our full armor. He doesn't expect that, so we can surprise the enemy when we pray those bold prayers, but we do it, we struggle through, and sometimes, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, there are times when I don't feel so bold, but Jesus says, all you need is a mustard seed of faith, and you can move a mountain. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. So they're marching all night, this 20-mile uphill march. Oh, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> um, and when they get to the other side, they surprise the enemy. But all of this could happen because Joshua knew who he was talking to. He knew his God, and he could speak boldly. He was not afraid. He knew that God would, would hear him and would answer his prayer. So I think the first thing that Joshua would say to us is to know who you're talking to. Thank you. Thank you. The next thing Joshua would say to us is pray like you know what he can do. So what does that look like? Pray like you know what he can do. Well, if you're praying for rain, are you packing an umbrella? However, that's easy to say, right? I can stand up here and I can say all this, but sometimes we need help. We need help believing because it's easy to sit here on Sunday morning. But Monday, when we go back and face our daily lives, it's a little bit hotter, so we need help. And I'd like to look at this scripture, Mark chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. And this really blesses my heart when I look at this because it shows us that we all need a little bit of help sometime. Uh, Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Then he says, help my unbelief. That's a true prayer. That's an honest prayer. You know, and I can identify with this. I've been there. You know, I want to carry that umbrella when I'm praying for rain, but sometimes it's just too heavy. I need help. So what I want to say to you this morning is get some help. And now what does that look like if I say to get some help? Well, at Share City, there's lots of ways for you to get help. One great way is to join a life group. In a life group, you talk, you learn, you share, you grow, you connect, you build a team, you're surrounded by people that can lift you up and hold you up. The next thing I would say is get involved in 21 days of prayer. We started this morning at 8 o'clock in the prayer room over there, and every day for the next three weeks, we're going to be meeting right here at 6 a.m., Monday through Saturday, right here at the building, we'll be praying. And then during the week, we'll be praying in people's homes. So there's lots of ways for you to connect. The next thing I would say to you is serve. Be part of a team. There's lots of opportunities here at Chair City. You can serve being an usher, a greeter. We need help in the parking lot. We need help in the nursery. We need help getting the food ready for the, for the hub. There's just so many areas that you can be part of. And when you serve and you're part of a team, you will start seeing. And when you start seeing, you will start believing. And here's one thing to remember. If you're having trouble believing, Christ died for me while I was a sinner. Think about that. 
Now, I'm a child of God. How much more is he going to do for me if I'm his child? And the good news is, he's no respecter of person. What he's done for me, he will do for you. He loves to do that. He loves to prove himself. He loves to show himself. Ask someone who's been there. Talk to people with a testimony. And I'll tell you this, God's track record, it's perfect. He never fails. He can't fail. It's against his very nature. And God can do more in one moment than we can do in a lifetime. Yes, it's wise for us to fulfill our responsibilities. We need to get help where it's available, and we need to better be able to deal with problems. But in addition to that, we need to pray. Son, stand still. God, hold on. I need some help here. Don't let that sun go down yet. I want to pray for greater character. I want my character to be strong. I want to be able to persevere when things get tough. I want to be, oh, let me I'll say this first. Have you ever seen that little cartoon that shows a little boy, like three years old, he's kneeling by his bedside, and he says, Lord, help me to be the kind of man that my daddy is. And then the next scene, the, the father's kind of looking over, he's watching his boy, he goes back to his bed, and he says, Lord, help me to be the kind of man that my son thinks I am. And my prayer is this, Lord, let me be the same man in private that I am in public. Let there be no difference between the two. I want people to say, this man has had an encounter with a Christ. Acts 4.13 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and then they realized they had been with Jesus. That's what we want people to say about us. That's what greater character really reveals. Now, I'm not there yet, but with God's help, I will get there. I also want to pray for incredible strength. And remember, when God gives us the strength, let's make sure our cravings are put to bed. <laughs> Don't go marching 26 miles to Gaza. Let's make sure that we're walking in our calling. Samson had great strength, and if we're praying for God to give us great strength, we can't be walking the other way. We've got to be walking according to the way God wants us. Also, we can pray for better circumstances for our job. Let God promote you. Ask God for favor. He does that. Let God change the hearts and the minds of the people around you. Ask God to strengthen your relationships. Every one of us could use a better relationship, a stronger relationship. Let's have a better relationship with my, with my wife. All of us could pray that prayer. In fact, when I came to Chair City, it's almost eight years ago now in October, I sat down with Pastor and Christy, and Pastor says, well, what's one thing you're looking for? And I said, I want to work on my marriage. I had just celebrated my 25th anniversary, and I had a good marriage, but I could see that I was so busy sometimes doing ministry, I wasn't paying attention to my wife. And there's that fine line. I want a perfect relationship. Get carried away here. It's exciting. But we need, we need better relationships with our friends, with our family, especially unsaved ones. Let's build those relationships so we're in a place when we're ready to invite them to church or they're ready to come to church, they're going to come to us. They're going to seek us out. And then we need to start walking in it. If we're asking God to change us, to help us, we have to believe it. As Pastor Dave says, believe it and then you will behave it. It's important to do that. Do what you know how to do and let God take care of the rest. Let God promote you. However, remember, in order to be promoted, you need to be submitted to the Word of God. Do all the necessary and practical steps within your means to contribute to things improving. Remain teachable. 
but pray audaciously. Pray like you know what he can do. When we do what we know how to do, we allow God to do what he does best, and that's finishing the job. He is the author and finisher of our faith. God invites us to pray, and he wants us to pray because he knows what that will do for us. Now, I want to look at a few examples where we may need to say, you know what, son, stand still in my marriage right here. I need a few things, and I listed five of them, and I could check off every one of these, and I am getting better. But I want us to just take a look at it and say, if we put these things aside, if we worked on these things, how good would our marriage be? What if I took a break from criticism, nagging, or sarcasm? Sarcasm is not a uh, superpower like some people think. When we feel dry in our marriage, frustration can lead us to a cycle of negativity. Without even realizing it, we're falling into the common trap of responding in a negative way. Whenever we feel the urge to say something critical or negative, let's bite, bite our tongue. Thomas Jefferson said, when I'm angry, I count to 10. When I'm very angry, I count to 100. Now, that might seem impossible, but at least if you start counting, it'll take your mind off it. This includes venting about our spouse to others in person, and here's a big one, and online. Don't go there. It's so easy to vent about somebody when they're not around. You can trash them. Let's not even go there. The simple act of choosing silence over negativity is a step in the right direction. Number two, I want to say don't compare yourself to somebody else. Let's not compare our marriage. You can't be like somebody else. You weren't designed to be that way. And remember, comparison is a tool of the enemy. Why is it, you know, Pastor Dave talked about losing our edge a couple of weeks ago. Why is it that we never seem to lose that edge to compare? And to, I think it's because we spend so much time honing it. Let's put that tool down. And how about this, number three. What if we were grateful for everything? What would our marriage look like if we were grateful for everything that we had? When we find something positive to focus on, we build up. And we know scripture tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Focus on the positive and genuinely show appreciation for what we have. Our words have more power than we realize. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat that fruit. By choosing to focus on the positive and keeping silent on the negative, the tone of your word will help change the tone of your marriage. And number four, am I choosing the right support system? It's natural to want to find encouragement and support through family, friends, and coworkers. When we're tempted to verbally bash our spouse or to surround ourselves with people who will, with misguided attention, try to build us up by tearing our spouse down. That's not the way to go at it. Your support system is absolutely critical to the process of your future healing. You need to surround yourself with people who are pro-marriage, people who are grounded in their values and who can encourage and support you on this journey. Lastly, imagine this. How good would my marriage be if I made it a priority to pray with my spouse, to pray for my spouse, to pray for my marriage? God sometimes uses prayer to change our circumstances. However, he always uses prayer to change our perspective. Prayer will help us see the whole situation through a whole new perspective, and it will help us grow closer to God when we struggle. Whenever possible, not only pray for your spouse, but pray with your spouse. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, 
as to the weaker vessel, in being heirs together of the grace of life. And this is what I really want you to notice, that your prayers will not be hindered. When you pray with your wife, something supernatural happens. Now, I was talking with a gentleman a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the importance of prayer. And he said, you know, Nick, he said, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I never prayed with my wife until just recently. And I've got to tell you how powerful it was. And this was what a person I would call a mature believer. And it seems that prayer is the first thing to struggle. It's the first thing to get checked off the list when we're busy, when we're in a hurry, when we're angry. And speaking of that, how many of you have ever been angry with your spouse? How many have ever had an argument with your spouse? Well, I've got good news. I don't want to brag, but I've only had one argument with my wife, honestly. Now, I celebrated my 32nd anniversary this Thursday. And I have to give my wife credit for that. I can't take that. But honestly, we've only had one argument. See, it started the day we got married, and it was going strong this morning when we pulled in. <laughs> you know, Ephesians 4.26 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, we're human. It's going to happen. And, you know, emotions are really the dashboard of our life. They kind of gauge where we are, and they're kind of like warning signals. Say, danger, Will Robinson. Hold on right here. It's okay to be angry. Just don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What are we doing with it when we get that anger? The Bible says take every thought captive. Don't stop battling. Remember, it's a marathon. Press in. Press on. Finish the race. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race that counts. The danger is we might start battling because we forget what God can do. It never ceases to amaze me how easily we believe the lies of the enemy, yet we forget how good God is. How does that even happen? Joshua and his soldiers, they were battling all day long. They, they were tired. They were fatigued. Their legs were weary. They kept going. You know what? You may be tired. You may be weary. You may be fatigued. You may say, I've been going to life group. I'm praying. I'm serving. I'm still not there. Hang on. Your breakthrough may be just around the corner. When you're tired, tell people, don't fight alone. Another good reason to be involved in a life group is you develop great relationships. In our, last, our, our most recent uh, life group, we shared some testimonies, and I couldn't believe how, how much God is doing in people's lives. Um, and remember, God is looking for obedience, not perfection. I want to leave you with this thought and just a quick illustration. Do you know why more flowers are sent to funeral homes than to people when they're alive? It's because regret is stronger than gratitude. I want to live a life of no regret. There's a story of a guy who was practicing his high-wire faith act, and he was on a cliff 50 feet across, and he was walking back and forth, and all of a sudden, a crowd started developing. And he's struggling going across with his balance beam, and as, as he's going across, People are bu building up on the other side. And then finally he says, do you think I can make it across without, without my bar? And they, oh, yeah, I think you can do it. So he goes across without his bar. Then he comes back, he picks up a wheelbarrow, and he goes back across with that. So he asks the people, he says, do you think there's anything I can put in this wheelbarrow that I can take across? And they go, yeah, there is. And he says, get in. That's the kind of faith we need. God is telling us to get in the wheelbarrow. Life is a battle. The enemy is fighting for our souls and the souls we love. Don't let the battle go untested. 
Pray audaciously. Pray like you know what he can do. The next thing that Joshua would, would tell us so that we can pray audaciously is to pray like you know what is at stake. Joshua knew what was at stake. Life and death and the future of his people. Isn't it the same for us? Abundant life, eternal death or eternal life, and the future of our people. It's really the same thing. When you know what is at stake, it affects how you pray. Think about what's at stake because it will affect how you pray. Do you pray with a squirt gun prayer gun or an M16? Jamie heard me say that a few times. We're either running around with a squirt gun, not learning how to pray, not training ourselves how to pray, not realizing the power of prayer, or we're picking up the heavy weight of prayer and determination and faith, which is an M16 and does amazing things. Do you know your prayers can change the spiritual and physical atmosphere? Joshua knew that. <laughs> Joshua, as Tony said, had lingered longer. Joshua had seen all the things that God did, had done. When he went on that hard march of obedience, then he surprised the enemy. He, he battled, he fought, he watched God do his part. He was doing his part. And all of a sudden he realized, I'm running out of time and I've got to finish. I've got to finish this battle. He knew that his prayers could change the whole situation. And he said, son, stand still. I love how he did it in public. It wasn't like he went into hiding because maybe God will do it and maybe God wouldn't. He said, son, stand still right in front of the people. And it, it was amazing. Would you train and study on how to pray? What is at stake here? It's really our ability to have faith and to learn how to pray that comes out of knowing what's at stake. If I were to get a tattoo, this is the one that I would get. It's in Psalm 1834 and Psalm 144. One, King David writes in the Psalm, train my hands for war and my fingers for battle that I can bend a bow of bronze. I carry that into my life. Lord, train me how to do war. Train me for my kids. Train me for my wife. Train me for my health. Train me that I can walk into the abundant life. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, chapter 10, 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, which are thoughts and patterns, casting down arguments and every high thing that is, exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Nick mentioned that. <laughs> Think about Joshua. 
Think about what's at stake. Think about Paul bringing that faith, that attitude into our present life. If you become a Christian, you think everything's going to get easy. You don't get it, right? At my age, I just kind of assumed that it would kind of get be easy and get easy. But I've had to pray at least three standstill prayers in my life. Know what's at stake. Okay, let's talk about the obvious. Here's the obvious things that are at stake. What would your son's standstill prayer be for the obvious struggles that you're having in your life? Let's make this personal right now. Think about the struggles that you're having. I'll give you just some examples. A mother calling out to her daughter to be delivered from drugs. A father calling out to his children to come back to the faith. Your marriage isn't what you want it to be. Sickness in your body or in your loved ones. Financial struggles, maybe debt, maybe prayer for your job. Overcoming an addiction. A lot of these things I've had to struggle with. Take time out to make this message personal. Like Tony and Nick said, life is a battle. The danger is that we might stop battling and fighting because we forget what's at stake. Look at Joshua. He marched all night. They were tired. They were weary. They were exhausted. But they had faith, and they surprised the enemy. Joshua was told three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. If I could tell you something, know what's at stake and be strong and courageous in this walk with God. Here's the not so obvious. Here's some things that are at stake that are not too obvious. There's a peculiar kind of Christian that I meet who says to me, I'll meet you on the other side. I think about getting the big hug. Going into heaven, walking into heaven, seeing my Lord and Savior and walking up to him. His arms are open and he wraps his arms around me. I want him to say in my ear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Right? So what is not so obvious is that the battles that we fight and the things that we do are going to have an eternal consequence. So when I've had people say to me, I'll see you on the other side, there's a confidence, there's an understanding of I'm living this life for that life. The other thing is people forget this and maybe they don't understand this is we all have an uncashed check. We all have an uncashed check. If you read Ephesians 1, 17 to 23, it's really amazing. I just encourage you to read that. The whole book of Ephesians is filled with the check that God's written for us. And all we have to do is flip it over and sign it. It talks about the abundant life who Jesus Christ is, the power that he has that Nick talked about, who we're 
praying to, who we gave our life to, and the abundant life, the heaven, the power that's available to us. It's not that we're not going to go through troubles and go through the, the hard march and go through struggles. I've been through a lot of them. But it's that I know that I'm his son and what's at stake is engaging with him so that I'll receive the fullness of what he's promised me. The other thing, and this is not thought about, not thought about, is that I want to glorify Jesus. I don't want to glorify myself. I want to glorify Jesus. I want to make him, I want to proclaim and renowne the name of the Lord through my life. I want to make the Lord famous. This church, I believe, is having an effect on the community around us. When you guys go out and do services, when you help people, they're hearing about uh, Chair City Church, but really what's happening is they're becoming more and more aware of God's in the house. And I don't mean this house, right? I mean the whole community, gardener. God showed up. God's in the house. They're, the Holy Spirit is making Jesus glorified. He's making Jesus known. Jesus is becoming more famous. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Do it all for the sake of his renown. Do it all that his fame, his name, may be exposed and be sent out. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. Remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward. Amen? Those are the things that are not so obvious and the things we should ponder. Those are the things that are at stake. I don't want to get there someday and him show me these things or available to me, the blank check, to get there and for him to show me I could have glorified him more and made his name be made known more. Where in your life do you need bold prayers? Over your health, over your marriage, over your job, over your kids, over your finances, over your friendships, over your health, over direction for your life. Where in your life have you stopped praying Today, start to pray boldly. That was awesome, huh? Woo! So, hey, you came in this morning. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a friend of one of these wonderful people who came up to speak, family member. Maybe you just wandered in here today, we have that, but whatever, we believe that God in his sovereignty chose today to have you come in here. Christy talked about a connection card that you were handed. Might be in the back of the seats that you're looking at. And on one side of the connection card, it said, my next step. My next step, meaning the step for you. 
Meaning why God called you in here today to take this step. And my next step is I am going to start a relationship. I'm going to relate to the God who first related to me by sending his son, fully God, fully man, down to earth, to walk the earth, to wrap himself in human flesh so that I could relate to him. And then he's going to give his life for me, shed his blood on the cross to, so that my sins can be forgiven. Uh, I can relate to that love. huh? And I want a relationship with that. I'm, today I'm deciding to have a relationship with that God. Now, if that's you, I want you to think about this. I want you to know who you're having a relationship. Because what we're talking about here is in order to do that, we call it repenting. You're going to turn from the way you're going. You're going to turn from the way you're living, right? And you're going to now go and turn to God. You're going to turn to Christ. So who are you turning to? You're turning to a man who walked this earth that you would know him, who gave his life that you would know him. You're turning to Jesus, the one figure in all of humanity that has changed this world more than anyone else. The one figure that people have by the tens of billions turned to over the centuries. The one person, the central figure in humanity that has built and taken down kingdoms. You're turning to Jesus, the Son of God, who gave his life for you, that you would have eternal life. That when God looked at you, he wouldn't see your mess, but he would see his son's love. Yes? yes amen. Yeah. And what can he do? He could give you new life. The Bible says, he, that when you come to Christ, you're a new creation, meaning you start thinking differently. You have a new narrative. You're not perfect. Everything's not fixed, boom, like that. But you start to think differently. You start to have a new narrative. You have this sense of hope. Huh? What can he do? What, look at the lives of these people that came up here in my life. You have to know how great God is and what he can do and that, that what he can do is beginning today when you take that next step to trust in Jesus and surrender to him. And you want to surrender because what's at stake? Your very salvation. You're spending eternity in hell. I believe there's good and there's evil. Who doesn't? I believe there's a God and there's Satan. I believe there's heaven and hell. So what's at stake? Your very soul today. Your very soul is at stake. And will you send that precious soul, the greatest part of you, there's nothing more resilient, more powerful than the spirit of God in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Huh? What's at stake, your soul, or will that soul live as it was intended forever in eternity with the God who breathed it into you? Will you live forever with your God, huh? That's what's at stake. And so today you want to take that card, you want to check the box off that says, I am going to start a relationship with Jesus. You want to take that card to the guest services table. They'll give you a package huh, to get you going, give you traction. While we're playing this last song, just ponder and consider the wonderful thing that's happening in your life today. And we are so grateful and so excited for what God is doing. I couldn't go to sleep when I got home. I was kind of too charged up. I don't drink coffee. I had a cup of coffee. And uh, so I was too restless, yeah. And, uh, and I was thinking about the sermon and looking at some things. And here's what I want to leave you with for those who have been following Jesus, for those who are kind of pressing on, doing what they can to keep going, holding on to your faith. I'm sitting, I'm thinking, okay, say, you know, Dave, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, practice praying boldly. Like, okay, Dave, you know, what, what does this look like? 
for you to pray boldly. And as I'm doing, I realize something, and I want you to get this. I realized it was doing something in me, and it's a beautiful thing. As I was thinking about how I would pray boldly, I began to picture what that would look like in my life. And you see, when you pray boldly, when you know who you're praying to, and you know what he can do, and you realize all that's at stake in, these, in all of your life, and you begin to pray boldly, you know what you start to do? You start to see. You have vision. That's what happens. You start to imagine this is what it's going to look like. This is what it can be. This is what God has me. This is what God is calling me to. And all of a sudden, as you're praying boldly, you're doing all that, you start to have vision, and you come out of your present circumstance. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Pray boldly today. Let God give you a great vision for your life. Let God give you a great vision for him with you. Hey, to God be the glory. You have a great day.